Welcome back to the Audio DT with Reb T, the Audio Devar Torah with Reb T, the show where we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. We're looking at Vayigash. We're almost at the end of Sefer Barashas, going through all these fascinating figures and characters in Tanakh in the beginning of the Torah, starting all the way from Adon, Harishon going all the way down to the Shavatim. We're almost at the end of Barashas, almost at my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, actually, Vayichi, my favorite Parsha of the Torah, of course, Bais, because of that. But in general, we're looking at Vayigash, and we see how Yehuda stands up and steps up to the plate, and he offers himself, and he protects Binyamin, and we see this um, beautiful reunification of the brothers with Yosef. Yosef is so emotional, he has to send everybody out, and he... he reunites with the with the, all the brothers and then he sends up to Yaakov to come down and an interesting thing is shown in the pasuk we're looking at parak memehe pasuk chaf zayin we're looking at the fact that it says in the pasuk vayar et haagalot yosef sends up to his father Yaakov to come down to Mitzrayim ani yosef he had said i am yosef is my father still alive he tells this to Yaakov the medrash says or rashi says or one of the commentators say that they wanted the brothers didn't want to like give Yaakov uh, a heart attack god forbid can you imagine for 22 years he was pining away for Yosef? He thought Yosef was dead or maybe on some level he was never consoled because on some level he thought Yosef might be around. That's the idea of closure. Unfortunately, in life, terrible things happen and, and, and sad things happen and painful things happen and Hashem is in control. Hashem decides everything. Of course, everything is for the best. Hashem does only things for the good, but an event can still be tragic and can still be, can still be terribly painful. But at least on some level, the closure people could get is if there's a, a body around or there's the, the understanding that the person's in the ground, the person is in a better place. But if a person is never given that closure, if a person never has that body, lo Elena, we should never know from such things, a person never sees that, on some level they can never get closure. That's the terrible feeling, we should never know from such things, of an MIA, a soldier, a person missing in action, or a, a soldier, a person that's a POW, prisoner of war, someone that's somewhere locked away. You can think of the family of Daniel Pearl who was held for all those weeks. They didn't know where he was. You could think of the children in, in Israel, those three teenagers, Loa Lena, who were held for so long. You could think of every Israeli soldier or every every Jew that was ever taken or any person that's ever taken or held and people of the world and the Jewish nation or people in general don't know where they are. The family themselves don't know where they are. They don't have the closure. It's very torturing, very psychologically torturing for the mental health, for the physical health. In general, it's very, very difficult. Or if someone's lying around in a hospital in a vegetative state or in a coma, very, very tough when they're hanging between life and death. And all of these situations is very, very difficult. There's no element of closure, very tough to deal with such a thing. We should never know from such things. We should never hear of such things. But on some level, Yaakov was stuck in this state for 22 years. So the sons tell him, Yosef is gone. They show him what they think is irre- irrefutable proof that Yosef is gone. Here is the ketona pas and the colorful coat, whatever it was. People always think it's like a rainbow, but it just means colorful. It could have been a few colors, whatever. They show it to Yaakov and it has blood on it, but he never saw Yosef's body. 
Why didn't he ask them to show them the body? Why didn't he go searching for where Yosef's body was supposedly done? We know there was a cherem, the medrash or the commentators point out, there was a cherem put on anybody that mentioned anything. Yitzchak was still alive at the time of the sale. He died maybe 12 years later or so, I think the notes point out. But Yosef knew, obviously Hashem knew, and, uh, and Yitzchak even knew, probably by Ruach HaKodesh, and the brothers knew, but nobody was able to talk about it because there was a ban, a cher imposed on it. So Yaakov never had closure. So on some level, he might have felt like Yosef was still alive, but he was still mourning. It was like a living mourning for him because he never had the closure. So how are the brothers supposed to tell Yaakov now that Yosef was actually really alive? And it must have been a very uncomfortable, awkward thing because they had said he was dead and he's really alive. So Yaakov must have been suspicious. So who are they going to send? Who are they going to have tell Yaakov about this? So I think the Medrash, or someone says that Sarah came, the granddaughter of Yaakov. She played the harp and slowly, but surely told Yaakov that Yosef is alive. And his, his spirit was lifted. Vatechi ruach. Yaakov Avihim. Their father Yaakov's spirit was revived. He felt joy and for the first time in 22 or so years Hashem talks to him because Nevuah only rests upon those that are happy. Nevuah only rests upon those that are joyful. That's why a lot of times in order to have Nevuah, to convey Nevuah, you have to be happy, well fed. That's the idea of Yitzchak was only able to give the brachas to Yaakov and Esau once he was fed. We might wonder, why did he need to have food to give the bracha? But he needs to be well fed spiritually, learning Torah, and physically he had to have a meal and be in a happy state, a joyful state. But but Yaakov was not in that state. Yaakov was in a, in a very fluctuating state. He was mourning for 22 years or so. He didn't know what happened with Yosef. So who was going to tell Yaakov what was going on? Who was going to be involved? So they decided to have Serach tell him that he was going to be the one to be told by Serach. And he blessed her, they say. He blessed her with long life and she lived many, 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 many years, even into the times of, uh, of Mitzrayim, I believe. But... So she was the one that told him. And how did Yaakov believe them? How did Yaakov believe and understand? She must have explained that Yosef was really alive and this is what he said. But the Pasuk attests to the fact that, that he saw the Agalot. Yosef sent up wagons for him. In, de- in general, the word Agalah means a wagon, but it could also mean a calf, like an ego, like a, like a type of animal. So he sees that and his spirit is revived. They told ya- Yaakov all the words of Yosef. But when he saw the wagons with Yo- which Yosef had sent to carry him, then then the spirit of Yaakov, their father, was revived. Why was that? My question, of course, every, a lot of people have this question. I'm just conveying over different sources. We try to think a practical message together. The question here is, why were the wagons what revived Yaakov's spirit? And in general, as a side point, talking about the idea of closure before, we should make sure that when we're involved in different things, we should give ourselves metaphorical and fear figurative, literal and and and. And in any way, closure. So when you're involved in a project, see it to fruition so you get the closure. If you're involved in learning, try to get to that point where you feel closure. A lot of times if I'm involved in a project, I'm involved in a concept, I don't feel the closure till I see it to the end. If I know I have to record five dots, I don't feel 
concluded, I don't feel that closure till I get through the five dafts. If I'm recording a share and I have to stop in the middle, I don't feel the closure. If I'm working on a concept or, or a project or a book or an idea or a picture, whatever, I don't feel the closure till it's fulfilled. In general, in our life, we should make sure to have that closure. We should never know from the closure we were talking about before. But in, in little small ways, see a project to fruition. See a concept to fruition. Make sure to get that closure in your own life. But that's just a side point. But anyway, the wagons are what revived Yaakov's spirit. Why was that? So Rashi points out, Yosef gave his brothers a sign to relate to their father that at the time that Yosef had parted from Yaakov, they had been studying the laws of Egla Arufa, the beheaded heifer, which is in Deuteronomy in Devarim. We're going to look at it in a little bit. Thus, although it was Paro who had sent the wagons, the Pasuk says when he saw the wagons which Yosef had sent. For the wagons, Agalot, of which the Pasuk speaks, is a reference to the Egla Arufa. But what's the real idea of the Egla Arufa? So Yosef shows Yaakov that it's him because he proves to him the last lesson they learned together 22 years ago was that of Egla Arufa. We should try to retain Halavai on some tiny level. We should try to retain lessons for 22 years. Can you imagine? Yosef was the only one in Egypt, the only one in Mitzrayim that was Jewish. He married Asnats. Again, we don't know what her story is. Maybe she was adopted by Potiphar. Some say she might have been uh, somebody that was uh, brought about from the, from the Dina situation. We don't know. Some say she might have actually been born to Potiphar or whatever, and she converted to Yosef. But even even whatever case, so them two are Jewish, and they have two Jewish boys. Four people in the entire Mitzrayim are Jewish, and somehow Yosef clung on to his Jewishness, and we talked about how the children were born to him, how he maintained his ability to do so in exile. Fascinating. But he remembers this lesson and sends it to Yaakov. But what is this lesson of the Egla Arufa? What is the Egla Arufa? And what can we learn from it from ourselves? That it's so powerful a message that he conveys it to Yaakov and talks to Yaakov about it. So the idea of the Egla Arufa is brought in Devarim. In Perak Chaf Aleph, in chapter 21, Pesukim Aleph to Tet. So the Pesukim 1 to 9, the Torah talks about this, and we're going to read, I'm going to read it to you. If a slain person is found in the land which Hashem, your God, is giving you to possess, of course, this is Moshe talking to the Jewish people on behalf of Hashem at the end of his life. In Devarim, if a slain person is found in the land which the land, your God, is giving you to possess, of course, the land of Israel, where we're all supposed to be, in Hashem, soon it should be. Lying in the field, this, this slain person is found lying in the field. It is not known who slew him. Then your elders and judges shall go forth and they shall measure to the cities around the corpse. So they have to measure which city is closer. If the body is found, Loaleno, this unnamed, unknown corpse is found in between two cities, but probably it could be in between a couple cities, but let's say it's in between two cities. They go and they measure the cities around the corpse. It will be that from the city closer to the corpse, the elders of that city shall take a calf with which work has never been done and that has never drawn a yoke. Interestingly, it has to be a calf that was never worked. And the elders of that city shall bring the calf down to a rugged valley, which was neither tilled nor sorn. And there in the valley they shall decapitate the calf. They kill it. 
they decapitate the calf. And the Kohanim, the sons of Levi, shall approach. For the Lord your God, Hashem, has chosen them to serve Him and to bless in the name of the Lord, name of Hashem. And by their mouth shall every controversy and every lesion be judged. All the elders of that city who are nearest to the corpse shall wash their hands over the calf that was decapitated in the valley, and they shall announce and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see this crime. Atone for your people, Yisrael. Interesting how we're talking about Yaakov Yisrael in this parsha, whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and lay not the guilt of innocent blood among your people, Israel, Yisrael. And so the blood shall be atoned for them, and you shall abolish the shedding of innocent blood from among you. For you shall do what is proper in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of Hashem. What a bewildering mitzvah, right? What a bewildering concept that this person is found on the road. This corpse, you have to measure between the two cities. You have to break a calf that was never done any work. You got to kill the calf and then say the seemingly mystical thing. Our hands didn't do this. Our eyes didn't know of this. We weren't involved. Atone for this Hashem. Abolish innocent blood. So the Gemara immediately picks up on it in Sota, in Lamed Chet Amabet. In 38b, and explains, and it is stated, they shall speak and say, our hands have not shed this blood from Devarim that we just talked about. But did it enter our hearts to think that the elders of the court are murderers? Why is it necessary for them to publicize that they did not kill him? Again, the idea in general, by the way, carbono sacrifices can seem very esoteric, can seem very hard to relate to. But at the time... Many years ago, when, when, when Moshe wrote down the Torah, when Hashem was involved in the Torah, the animals being involved in Karbonos was very commonplace. In the Mishkan and the Besamigdash animals, there's some element of presenting a present to Hashem. It's like Lahavda, when a kid comes home, presents an art project to his mom, to his dad, showing appreciation, showing how much he loves the parents, how much we love our parents, Hashem, giving the animals a sacrifice. We have so many Karbonos, the Ola, the Shlamim, the the, the Chatas and the Tamid, and one for Shabbos and Musaf and on Yom Kippur and on Pesach. There's so many different Karbonos. So the whole idea of Karbonos is a whole different aspect and manner. But doing the Karbon in some way, we're giving a gift to Hashem in some manner, some way. We're giving a present to Hashem in some manner, some way, even though everything is Hashem's. And we're, we're trying to, to appease for the innocent blood, maybe on some level. But why do they publicize they didn't kill him, the elders of the court? Rather, they must declare it is not so that this victim came to us and we dismissed him. And it is not so that we saw him and left him. In other words, he did not come to us and we in turn dismissed him without food. We did not see him and then leave him without an escort. It is miserly people who do not provide others with food and cause them to travel to places where they might be murdered. So the elders have to explain that on some level, we didn't cause the murder, we didn't cause that, but we should have been more protective to him. We should have been more involved in hachnasas orchem. We should have been more involved in chesed on the way. We should have been more involved in taking care of this person. Did he have proper lodgings? Did he have proper escort? 
of the people from the town? Did he have proper transportation? Did he have proper food and drink? Did he have proper ways of being involved? And to me, the Gemara clearly defines that on some level the idea of the Egla, that the idea of being involved in this mitzvah, that we shouldn't have to ever have this mitzvah, but as a, as a, as a, as a response to what happens is to account for the lack of hachnasas orachim, accompanying the person, affording him protection spiritually and physically. Which is interesting that we have to do in our own days, but also it ties into the idea of talking about Yosef and bringing Yaakov. It's exactly what Hashem did for Yosef in his gallus and does for us always in our gallus. He literally comes with us. He clothes us. He gives us money. He gives us food. He escorts us wherever we go. And he's always with us wherever we are. If the idea of the Egla Arufa, that the Chacham, the sages, the Zekanim talk about how we should have been with him, we should have cared for him better, we should have escorted him better, on some level we should do so in our own lives. There are so many ways that we could be involved in helping people. There's so many ways... To, to be escorting to others, to be participating in helping others. We need to break the neck of the stubbornness, of the, the not wanting to help people, which is human nature, unfortunately, to be selfish, unfortunately. We need to be selfless-oriented. We talk about this all the time on all the shows, but the Egla points out to us, on some level, this guy wasn't escorted. He wasn't given the proper chasa, the proper hachnasas orchem. And on some level, the zikinim, the city, the closest, are liable. And what they do instead is they break the calf. Instead of them taking the onus, God forbid them being punished, the egla is a stand and a punishment. Like in Kaparos Lahavda, when we do Yom Kippur, we should really be killed for all of our sins. Instead... We, do, we, we, we slaughter a chicken and offer it instead of ourselves. Or we give money, we offer it to tzedakah instead of ourselves. And Tashach, we throw our sins into the river, even though on some level we should be thrown into the river. So the Zakanim offer the Egla instead of themselves, saying, Hashem, we know something wrong happened here, but please take the carbon instead of us. Understand that we need to do better. In our own lives, every day, we need to do better. The world is not at a good place, especially in 2020. So much corruption in so many areas. So many people hate each other in so many areas. The world is a cruel, selfish place. That's why a lot of times I love hearing heartwarming stories. Stories that give me the result of restoring faith in humanity. Faith in humanity restored. If we can do on some level... Upping our hachnasas orchim, upping our helping other people, maybe we could put more faith in humanity every day. And it doesn't have to be crazy things. I'm not telling you to host people, of course not in pandemic times, but even in regular times, I'm not telling you to host 100 people every Shabbos. I'm not telling you to give 1,000 people a ride every day. But if you're going to work anyway, you're driving to work anyway, and you take someone with you every day, and you don't even charge them for gas or for tolls. What a chassid. What an idea. What a simple way of doing your own achnas on the way. And that counteracts in some level what we see in the Egla Rufa. The guy goes on the way alone and is, is decimated, killed, murdered by someone. Here you take someone on your way, giving them the protection of a mitzvah. And we know shluch a mitzvah ain't in the zakin, the Gemara tells us. 
If you're involved in a mitzvah, a shliach, a messenger for a mitzvah, you're not going to be harmed. And probably the person with you also, the famous story of a rabbi that was traveling on the bridge and he was about to be ticketed, but they were on the way to a very important mitzvah and they didn't get the ticket, even though in many other circumstances they would have got the ticket. And the guy is bewildered who's driving with the rabbi and the rabbi says, Shalucha mitzvah ain't in nizakin. Messengers of a mitzvah do not get punished, don't have, da- don't have damages and they won't get hurt. Of course, in Somchan Alanes, we don't rely on miracles, but we hope Hashem will always afford us protection, especially when we're doing mitzvahs. So on some level, the Egla teaches us how to be better with taking care of others, with being involved in others. You know, Achnasas Orchem is not literally only in your own house. How can we go about taking care of others, being someone who brings in the guest? Hachnasat orchim, bringing in the guests. It doesn't literally mean only into your house. It also applies to the car, people say, when you give the rides like we were talking about. You can offer your house, and you should offer your house, please, for for sleeping and for feeding people and for, for having people for Shabbos meals, all not during pandemic, of course. We have to do health and safety first, always, especially for us and our families. But in general... Opening up your homes, hachnasas orchim, you know, people that need a place for a Torah lecture, a Torah shear, making your house a va'ad v'chachamim. They have a bait va'ad l'chachamim. Your house should be a meeting place for the chachamim. That's a wonderful thing, Pekel says, that we should try to do. How can we incorporate different things into our homes? Having shidduch meetings, hosting different events, hosting wonderful things is a wonderful way of doing that. We need to be more involved in hachnasas orchim. Break the neck of the stubbornness. Break the neck of the calf and break the aspect of life when we're too cruel, too selfish, too unhelpful to other people. We have to always think about how to be involved in other people's lives and, and getting them involved in a Torah life, a mitzvah life, and getting them to be incorporated in our own lives. And that's what I see. One of the lessons, the idea of the Egla, to be involved in Achnasas Orchem better, to be protection, spiritually and physical for other people, giving Torah, being involved in Torah, being involved in aspects of Chesed and mitzvahs to afford that protection for all of us, especially someone that's wandering on the way themselves. It's also interesting to think Hashem was literally with Yosef in his galas. Yosef was alone with his wife, Asnan, and his kids, Menashe and Ephraim. And Hashem came, descended with Egypt to the family, with the family of Yaakov. It says, I will go down with you. Hashem finally talks to Yaakov after his spirit is lifted. The joy is brought back to his life. Hashem came with the family of Yaakov. He might have been counted as, as the 70th member, because if you look in the end of Ayigash, when all of them come down, it really adds up to 69. The famous, famous idea is that the 70th person is Yocheved, who was born in the walls of Egypt. But the article notes in the Chumash, the article Chumash points out, the Shechina may have been counted as the 70th presence to come down to Mitzrayim. For Hashem joined their group, as it were, in fulfillment of His promise to Yaakov in our earlier verse to go to Egypt to Mitzrayim when it says, I will descend with you. Ani Eireid Imcha, or whatever the, the word is. And we know there's a famous thing that when... When Yaakov tells the brothers to go down to Mitzrayim, why are you making us conspicuous amongst our neighbors? Go get the food. Make sure we have food for the family. Even if we have a little bit left, don't make us look like we're, we're rich, which of course is another wonderful example. Don't flaunt your wealth. 
Keep things modest. Keep things simple. I don't care if you have $20 million. Why do you have to incur the wrath, the envy of the neighbors? All throughout history, we saw how even people who were beneficial, benevolent to us in their society, they got very upset at us, especially during World War II and the Holocaust with all those Yamach Shemams. I'm just reading a book now how the neighbor was so envious, so jealous of the fabulous wealth, the palace that they lived in. Why do you need to have a palace with 21 rooms? Okay, Baruch Hashem, you be zochet to have many kids, but you know there's nothing wrong with having just one bedroom per kid or or kid or kids sharing a bedroom. No one ever, no one ever got hurt from such a relationship. In in fact, sometimes it's better for kids to share rooms. They learn how to be better brothers and sisters or whatever siblings. But why flaunt the wealth? Going down into exile, understanding how to be in exile. Don't flaunt the wealth. Yaakov tells the children, Redu, go down. Don't flaunt the wealth. It's such a good thing, such an understanding to realize in America, even if people have millions, don't flaunt it. My favorite thing is when I hear of a family that has a ton of wealth, but they live in a modest home. I love that. That's such a wonderful thing. That means that they had the money, they had the ability to have a palace, but instead they chose not to. They probably chose better aspects for their money to go to. I'm not saying don't live comfortably. I'm not saying don't live well. But don't live extravagantly. It's unnecessary and it'll bring the envy of the neighbors and it's not a good thing. Even amongst our own Jewish communities in Israel or the like, even if your whole community is Jewish, sometimes we're causing jealousy, we're causing envy that's not necessary. Why flaunt the wealth, you know? If you do something, you, you do your driver, you do your kitchen. We were Zoha to be able to do so with a lot of family help and a lot of different factors. But I'm not going to be posting it on Facebook to make everybody feel bad if they don't have the kitchen. Of course, if someone wants a kitchen designer, I'm very happy with Enterprise Wood Products. We love them. We highly recommend them. But in terms of what we do in our own lives, we shouldn't flaunt it. Live in a modest house. Okay, you could have a bedroom for each kid. You could have a bedroom for two kids or whatever. I never understood the idea when my wife and I see these places throughout all the years we've been married, we see these fabulous, these fabulous palaces, 21 rooms. Who needs 21 rooms? Crazy. What could that money have been done better for? So Yaakov tells his children way back in the day, don't flaunt your wealth. Don't make us conspicuous amongst the neighbors. Don't break the neck and break the peace by making people upset and making people wrathful at us so he says he uses the word redu go down to egypt because it was a dissension and it redu is gematria of 210 alluding to the fact i don't remember who says maybe the article notes or commentators alluding to the fact that 210 years will be spent in egypt and yaakov on some level unconsciously or consciously unwittingly or willingly explained that also and the shekhinah went down with them Hashem went down with them. Hashem descended with them. Because Hashem is always with us. Hashem always descends with us wherever we go. Especially in Golas. Hashem was with Yosef there and came with the family as well. And even in a case of an Egla Arufa that Yosef learned about with Yaakov, Hashem is still there. We feel His presence and we feel terrible that such a thing happens. So we try to make it up to Hashem on some tiny level offering this carbon instead. The Sforno Further comments regarding the Egla Arufa, and a lot of sources came from safari.org, the wonderful website in Chabad. The Svorna further comments regarding the Egla Arufa that the people say we have not left a stone unturned in making public, locating the murderer in the land. 
We are certain that the murderer did not commit this act where he could be seen. Had he been seen, he would have been challenged and prevented from committing the deed. At the very least, such witnesses would have come forward. Also alluding to the fact in our own life, we have to be careful in the public and in the private. We have to be understanding that Hashem is with us wherever we go. Yeah, you're not going out about and, and robbing, God forbid, but what are you doing in the privacy of your own home? Are you robbing time from other people, God forbid? Are you wasting time for no reason? And of course, at the end of the day, it's important to decompress, to de-stress. And I myself, you know, sit down and watch with my wife, and then I have my own stuff that I also de-stress and, and watch. But my whole day is not that. That's all the way at the end of the day, after taking care of everything in the house, taking care of my job, making sure everything's going about and about, out and about, taking care of everything in life as much as possible. And then at the end of the day, we can do that. Understanding that if we see things, we have to stand up. The worst thing is the one of the worst things is the bystander effect. We think of the case in the late 20th century of Kitty Genesee, which we learned in psychology. I was a psych major, psych degree. I always try to use it, even though it really is nothing to have a bachelor's in that, but whatever, that's a side point. Anyway, this very famous case of this woman who was low lane, unfortunately murdered alone, even though it was in public. And people couldn't grapple, grasp with why would that happen? It was in the, in the middle of apartment buildings. How could this possibly be? How could she be killed? There were like 36 people that were watching this. Psychology deemed a term called the bystander effect. Everybody was watching and thought somebody else would take care of it. Thought somebody else would handle it. But at the end of the day, nobody handled it. At the end of the day, nobody came to her to her defense, even though she was screaming, even though she was terrified, even though she was pleading for life, and even though she was terrified, and even though she was, she was tortured and destroyed and killed, unfortunately, ultimately, terrible, terrible, terrible case, the bystander effect. Everyone thinks somebody else will take care of it. That means nobody will take care of it. If everybody thinks someone else will do it, no one's going to do it. Lahavda, Lahavda, we should never ever know from such cases, from such things as the story we just mentioned. But it's to illustrate a point of the bystander effect. That's why Perke Elvo says so many thousands of years ago, Bimakum she'ain ish, hishtada lehiyot ish. Perke Elvos knew this way before psychology talked about it, after the, the kitty case in whatever year it was, in 1970 or whatever. Perke Elvos knew a long time ago, in a place where there are no people... If we think somebody else will do it, no one's going to do it. Nobody's going to stand up. Everyone thinks somebody else will do it. You need to be the one to stand up and do it. If you're analyzing the Egla Rufa case, you're involved in the Egla Rufa case, and you see it about to happen, you need to stop, stand up for the principles, and fight off the attacker. I don't care if he's 160,000 pounds. If you're the one that's in that scene at that point, we should never have to be tested, but that's the person that has to stand up. If you see something wrong in your own life, the Egla Arufa, we see the person on the road, we could have stood up for him. We could have helped him. We could have done something to, to, to contribute. In our own lives, if we see something that's wrong, we see something that doesn't add up, we see something that's not right, we need to stand up and say something. We need to do something. We need to be involved. In different cases, we need to, to, to own up. Even if it's an idea that's not around, it's not right that this is not around. This concept I'm thinking of, it's not right that the Jewish people don't have this idea 
a kid's activity book I'm thinking of working on. It's not right that it's not there. So I'm going to stand up and try to work on it. It's not right that the shul doesn't have X, Y, or Z. It's not right that our school doesn't have X, Y, or Z. Stand up and do so. The guy in the Egla Rufa, nobody stood up for him. But we need to stand up for people around us. We need to stand up for the concepts around us. We need to be involved. We need to break the neck of whatever's around us and break the aspect of what's ever around us. The Egla Rufa, the neck being what carries the head. If the head is the Torah, the neck is what controls the Torah. Hashem controls our life. We need to be involved in standing up to, to control the situation, to assess the situation and be involved, breaking the neck. We should also realize that the Akedas Yitzchak points out a very interesting concept. It further points out by the Egla Arufa that the Torah presents the case of the Egla Arufa to illustrate the extent of the liability shared by people who are apparently quite unconnected with the murder that has taken place. Because we're all involved. We all have to take responsibility. The opposite of bystander effect where nobody takes responsibility, which we should never know from such things. Man does not live in a vacuum. A crime committed by a person in a room is the responsibility of that person. Should it be impossible to identify the person who has committed that crime, the search for the criminal must include the house in which the room is located. Should search of the house fail to identify the culprit, the entire city becomes a natural area for further search. The case of Kiyimatzachal al-Basadeh, when a person is found slain in the field is similar. The Torah describes the ever-widening circles of search for the party responsible and the need for all parties to exonerate themselves from having had any connection with the crime committed. The Sanhedrin, as the seat of the administration of justice, represents the entire nation. The Torah commands that the central authority get involved in the search for the guilty party, and gradually the search is narrowed to those closest to the murder that has been committed. It is the involvement of representatives of the highest court that underscores the collective responsibility felt for a crime committed by a single individual that assures the high moral standards displayed in Jewish society. Since the elders of the town nearest to the slain person are nearer to the site where the crime has been committed, their participation in the atonement ceremonies, i.e. the killing of the, of the, the, the virgin heifer, is more direct than the participation of the elders of the Sanhedrin. In order to prevent the suspicion that the elders might have condoned murder, they declare that their actions had been such that they could not have been a factor in this crime. Our hands have not spilled this blood, as the verse Pasig talks about that we mentioned before. By asking for mercy in their plea for forgiveness, the priests present, the priests present indicate that the fact that murder has occurred is proof that the innocence of the elders is not that total. God's forgiveness needs to be invoked. Only after the prayer of the priests, whose general function is to facilitate atonement for the Jewish people, can the guilt of the innocent blood that has been spilled be wiped out completely. The reason that Amcha Yisrael, your people Israel, is mentioned in the prayer underlines that everyone in some degree shares the responsibility for what has occurred. And that comes from the Akedah Sichitzchak talking about the Egla Arufa. It therefore becomes the idea of Klal Yisrael, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. 
everyone is responsible for one another. If there would have been more hachnasas orachim, there would have been more chesed, maybe this guy could have been saved in this case of the, of the murdered person on the way alone. Alone, alone, alone. How terrible to be alone in this world. No one should ever know from such things. But the city, the people in the city should have cared for this person. We ourselves should care for the people around us. Call Yisrael Raven Zelazel. We're all responsible for one another. If a guy comes to town, he's a stranger, he's a newcomer, seek him out, talk to him, make sure he has a place to stay, non-corona times, make sure he has what to eat, that he's taken care of. We don't want him to, God forbid, be like that, that unnamed, unknown person on the road. We need to be involved. How appropriate to think of communal responsibility when Yosef in in Vayichi and, and, and Vayigash all the way until Shemos, until the, until the Shvatim died out, before Shemos really, but how appropriate to think that Yosef had to ensure to take care of the whole family. He settled them all in Goshen, the whole Jewish nation at the time of 70. The whole Jewish people coming down to Mitzrayim in this parsha, Yosef understood the idea of Eglarufa. He studied it with Yaakov. That's how Yaakov was enlightened and revitalized. He knew Yosef still had the lessons in him and he was still living those lessons, taking care of those around us, around him. That's how he was revitalized, understanding to break the neck of shifting responsibility, taking responsibility, being involved in the cloud, taken out and being helpful to the cloud. Chabad.org points out that Yerushalmi Talmud says, the Talmud Yerushalmi explains, when Yaakov sent Yosef to his brothers, he accompanied him on the way. Yosef said, Father, turn back so that I should not be punished for troubling you. But Yaakov said to him, My son, in this very matter, my descendants will blunder when they do not arrange a proper escort for a traveler and he is killed. They will have to bring an Egla Arufa and proclaim our hand did not spill this blood. Yaakov accompanied Yosef, teaching him the idea of Achnasas Orchem. You need to go with the person. That's why there's a halacha, an idea. You're really supposed to walk four amos. The guests you had for lunch or the guests you had in your house, you're really supposed to walk them four amos. Why dalat amos? Why walk them? Maybe on some level it's really good to walk them the whole way or half the way. But if you have little kids or your wife needs you, obviously that's not so practical. But Dalit Amos is an ownership idea, an ownership amount of showing a certain amount is extended from my house. These Dalit Amos, we talk about making a difference in the Dalit Amos of the world. It's some aspect of some measurement that could be contained, that could be withdrawn, with taken in to really ownership of the property. So we walked them the Dalit Amos, the eight feet, showing that we're symbolizing that they're walking them on the way. Yaakov walked, Yosef explained, that's a blunder. If that person is not, part, is not accompanied, is not taken care of, that's not a good thing. We need to make sure in Gullis, wherever we go, we carry the yoke of our egg love, communal responsibility, responsibility for the wayfarer on the way, for the, the one that's wandering on the way. Using Torah mitzvahs as our guide and Hashem as our ultimate guide, really taking care of everyone around us. And the last point to think about is Chabad points out, Chabad.org points out, Labavitcher Rabbi explains the idea of the Egla Arufa one step further. The principle behind the law of Egla Arufa is that a person is responsible also for what occurs outside of his domain, outside of his areas where he is fully in control. I, don't, I can't control the road. I can't control the situation. No, you can't. But you can accompany the person. 
You can't go with the person. You can arrange that he has proper escort, proper transportation, proper food, and proper provisions for the way. When a murdered traveler is found out in the field, the elders of the nearest city must go out there and bring the Egla Rufa to atone for the, for atone, to atone for the crime. Although it occurred outside of their jurisdiction, for it was nevertheless their responsibility to send the traveler off with adequate provision and protection. This is the deeper significance of the message which Yosef sent to Yaakov. Father, he was saying, I have not forgotten the law of Egla Arufa. I've been exiled from this sacred environment of your home for 22 years. But I have not allowed my soul to travel to the spiritual no man's land of Egypt without provision. I have not abandoned it to a spiritual death with the justification that this is outside of my element. I have no way of dealing with this. After 22 years of slavery, imprisonment, and political power in the most depraved society on the face of the earth, I am the same Yosef who left your home on the day that we studied the laws of the Egla Arufa. This was the message that revived the spirit of Yaakov, their father, Vatechi Ruach Yaakov Avihem. We must realize Hashem is with us wherever we go. We are fully in control of our own neck and our own yokes. We can't forget the laws of our, li- of our land, of our lives, but we have to practice our lives through the prism of Torah and mitzvot. Yosef teaches us, as a solitary family in Egypt, him, his wife, and, and his two kids, the paradigm of living in exile is attaching to the Torah and mitzvot, following in what Hashem decrees, even without the help of other Jewish people around. We have to ensure to break the neck of the oppression of culture and secularism around us. Selfishness and cruelty and lacking in helping. Attach ourselves to the real neck of what is in control in this world. That of Hashem with the Torah and mitzvahs. That's a way to really bring about what we're supposed to do in this world. We have to understand the real lesson of the Egla Rufa. Really what revived Yaakov to understand that this, these wagons, the idea of the lesson of taking care of others. This person found in the way, understanding that we have to take care of others with, within our surroundings and, and in our environment. To ensure everyone, even the stranger in our community, the guy traveling on the way, that they have the proper provisions, the proper lodgings, the proper food. Understand the proper idea of Hachanasas Orch and breaking the neck of society and going above that, really, really helping out those around us. Understanding Hashem is with us wherever we go, whatever we do, but bringing to Hashem what we're supposed to do. Understanding Hashem descends with us in Gullus and understanding that we have to be involved as much as we can. We did whatever we could to help the people around us. We did whatever we could to be involved in helping the people around us. Understand that we have communal responsibility. Understand that we have to stand up and fight those things around us that are not right. Understand that we need to be involved with whatever's around us. That's why the Sanhedrin is involved. That's why the Sanhedrin gives the carbon, gives the calf, showing really we're liable but we're giving this instead. We need to realize that we were not spilling this blood, but we are involved in trying to facilitate good things, and we need to better be involved in these things. We need to be better involved. Communal responsibility. Call Yisrael Aravim Zelazeh. Understand what we should be doing, how we should be involved. Making people go on the way, and it's easy to do Achnasas Orchem in many different ways. It doesn't just mean giving up your house. But being involved in whatever we can, especially in Gaulus, understanding 
that we have control in some levels, but not a lot. But even so, still being involved when we're traveling on the way, dealing on the way, being involved with people around us, we still need to be as much as we can to be involved with the Torah and Mitzvahs. Break the neck of what we see in society, what we see in culture of not the right thing, not helping out others. Restore faith in humanity every day in any which we, in any which way we can. If we do so, to learn from the lessons of Yosef and Yaakov and the Egla Arufa, how to really take care of others, really be involved in others in Torah, Chesed and Mitzvot and Achnasas Orcha, maybe we could finally bring true Ahavad Chinam, true love for all people and true peace in our days to really bring the ultimate redemption, to bring about the third base of English and Mashiach speedily in our days, which hopefully will be today. This has been the Audio DT with Reb T, and I'm your host, Reb T.